morning again. Uh, this morning we will be continuing our series through the book of Luke and uh, looking particularly this morning at verses, chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. You'll find that on page 860 if you're utilizing a pew Bible. That is Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. This is God's holy and inerrant word. So let's give careful attention to the reading of his word. Verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him in her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Our God and our Father, we pray that as we now sit at your feet to hear your word, your preach word. We pray that your spirit would enable us to hear that which you would have us to hear to be molded and shaped into the image of our son, of your son, to be equipped to go into the highways and byways in our spheres of influence and to represent you well in the areas to which you send us. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would magnify our Lord in our sight, even now. We pray that you would do all in and through us this hour to the praise of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, question. Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe that he has authority over all things and thus has the right to reign and rule over all, including us? In verses 16 through 21 of this chapter, we found Jesus beginning his ministry by entering the synagogue, opening the scroll, and opening the scroll of Isaiah to chapter 61, where it was written, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he closed the scroll and declared, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now a special note in that passage as it relates to where we are going today is the fact that Jesus declared that he was anointed by the Spirit. For you see that word anointed as it is found in that passage is the same word Creole from where we get the word Christ. So as the complete word study dictionary indicates, it is the equivalent to the word Messiah, which carries certain levels of authority. That word is also specifically used to describe when a king is subjected, what a king is subjected to during his installation. David, for example, was anointed when he was made the king of Judah, and again when he was made the king of united Israel. You can find that in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and chapter 5. Let me get right to what I'm trying to communicate here on the front end. In verses 18 and 19 of this chapter, Jesus uses the term proclaim three times to tell us what his ministry was about. The purpose for which he came to proclaim the good news, the freedom of the captives, those to give sight to the blind and, and liberty to the oppressor. But I say to you a legitimate question that can arise from that or that can be asked and should have been or could have been asked by the people of that particular time. For you see, on this side of the cross, we know what Jesus has done. But they didn't. So a legitimate question that could have been asked was, do you have the inherent authority, Jesus, to do that which you're proclaiming? The authority associated with being a prophet, a priest, or and a king. And if he is king of king and lord of lords, if he is the prophet, priest, and king of all those whom the father had given him, then we should expect to see the evidence of his authority as we look at the unfolding drama of his earthly ministry. C.S. Lewis said he's either lord, a liar, or a lunatic on the level of a post egg. And so it is a legitimate question to look for him to validate that which he purports. And so as we now take a closer look at our passage for evidences of that authority, I submit to you that Jesus bears witness to his authority in three ways. It's more than that, but in three ways I'm going to choose. His authority was revealed through his preaching. His authority was revealed through his power. And his authority was revealed through the demon's profession as you'll see through the people also. So first, his authority was revealed through his preaching. Look at verses 31 and 32. It reads, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Now, if you were listening to all the sermons that I've ever preached, 99% of those sermons you would hear in them me alluding to someone else. You would hear me say something like, listen to what John Calvin has to say, what MacArthur said, Boyce, Ralph Davis, Luther, Phillips. You get the picture? 
Well, the scribes, Pharisees, and, and teachers in Jesus' day were just like that. They would all allude to what others had to say. And in some cases, they, they would look to the rabbinic tradition. What did that have to say about that particular section of the scripture that they were reading? But oh, it was not so with Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, one consistently hears Jesus saying, you have heard it said, but I tell you. He starts expounding in Matthew 5, 18, he starts expounding on the law by first telling them, not suggesting, telling them, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Immediately after that, related to the law's address on the issue of anger, he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And then he says, but I say to you, he is speaking on top of the law. That's followed by his comments on the taking of oaths, retaliation, and loving your enemy. In his address of each particular area of the law, he says, they said, but I am telling you. And at the end of his discourse, that's found in chapter 7, verse 28, we hear the, the same sentiment that we find at the end of verse 2 here. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and then it adds what we don't have in our text, and not as their scribes. Here I'm reminded of the Father's voice. When Jesus was baptized, he said, this is, in, is my son in whom I am well pleased. Then as we move further along in scripture, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find the father on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Elijah and Moses were also present, further saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In Luke it says, my son who I have chosen, listen to him. Not Elijah, not Moses, not the prophets, or as, as, as Hebrews 1 says, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things. Utmost authority granted, given by the Father and reflected in Jesus' words in his preaching. And thus the people were astonished, our text says. That is to say they were struck with panic or shock or amazement. That is what the word translated here as astonished means. And why again? Because his words possessed authority. Authority derived from the Father and through his victory over Satan during his temptation. And ultimately we know that he would conquer death, hell, and the grave on the cross. So, okay, Dean, we can say that he had inherent authority. But how did he physically demonstrate that authority? Our next point. His authority was revealed through his power. A power that displayed itself in two ways in our text. First, his dealings with the demons who possessed the people in our text, particularly starting with the man who was in the synagogue. 
and then his healing of Simon's mother-in-law and the others who were brought to him after her. Now here I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's words in his preface to his famous book, The Screwtape Letter. There he writes, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, not to believe demons. They don't believe demons exist or they say they do, but experientially in the way they operate and live, they don't. And then there's the other who believe the extent of the power is so great that demons, it's all about demons. You saw this in the Pentecostal tradition that I used to be in when we had miracle healing crusades and, and all those sorts of stuff where it is, the, the, the spirit is hyper uh, thing and demons are hyper expressed and so on and so forth. So there are two extremes that people, but here is what I will definitively say this morning. Either demons exist or you can get rid of your Bible. Time would not give me the liberty of extensively demonstrating what I've just asserted, but here's two things I'll quickly share. First, the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament in Ephesians 6 wrote, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the, high, in the heavenly places. Folks, that verse is not written in past tense verbiage, but the action, but an action that continues to be in the present. And notice there are rulers and cosmic powers, authorities. Michael the archangel in the book of Jude recognizes the hierarchical level of power. And so in his dealing with Satan, we hear, but when the archangel Michael contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. Demons exist and they are powerful so much so that Michael, a powerful archangel, had to turn to the Lord as his source when he engaged Satan. None of us outside the power of God and the indwelling presence of his spirit, for the word of God state greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. None of us outside of God and his spirit have any power or authority that can overcome the wiles of spiritual darkness. But glory be to God. I know one who does, and so do you. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Brothers and sisters, if we believe those words, then we should expect that the same power that brought everything into existence out of nothing must surely have the power to command and control the forces of darkness, no matter what degree of power those forces have. And so it is that after hearing the sarcastic question posed by the unclean demon, 
Look at verse 34. Ha! That's a word expression of sarcasm. What have we to do? <clears throat> what have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? Jesus authoritatively responds in what we now know is the only way he could. But first he tried, a, 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 <clears throat> and that is to say, no, 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 the demon responded. Jesus said, be silent and come out of him. And the demon responded in the only way that we now know he could. And that is to get out. He tried to, to bring harm first. He tried to harm the guy. But the spread passage tells us that the man was completely unharmed. Why? Because it was the will of our God to sustain him, to keep him from all harm. Brothers and sisters, we should take comfort in knowing that nothing can happen to us by any cosmic power, any authority, nothing in this universe, nothing can happen to us unless our God allows it. And if he allows it, all things work together for our good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You are in the shepherding care of the Most High. And even if you are harassed for a season, for a Christian cannot be possessed by a devil, but surely you can be a, a harassed, surely you can be suppressed, surely if you're walking in sin, you can be messed with. But only for a season. The end of your journey will be bliss. And listen to how the people responded. Verse 36. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. You know, the funny thing about Jesus is whenever he did, when he spoke in power, when he acted in power, it, nothing about what he did bought a neutral response. If you remember the passage before this, the people were so pissed off, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Remember that? They, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. And now here they are. This crowd is looking at him and accepting all that he is saying and doing where the last crowd did not. Jesus did not commit himself to people, John 2, I believe it is said, because he knew what was in the heart of man. But moving on, our Lord further validates his authority now not only over the spiritual realm, but the physical he goes to the house of Simon, who would later be called the Apostle Peter, and heals Simon's mother-in-law, who was suffering with a high fever. In other words, a sickness that was incredibly debilitating and the source of great misery. It would be like Jesus coming in our day and age, and someone is on a ventilator in the hospital in COVID, and Jesus just standing over that person and rebuking that disease and that disease doing what? what? How did the disease respond? By immediately leaving her, the text says. Now, brothers and sisters, don't miss something here that's central to all who have been saved by Christ. After Simon's mother-in-law is healed, what happens? It says she immediately rises and begins to serve others. You think of the woman at the well. 
As soon as she realizes that Jesus is the Christ, she goes into the town and she starts spreading the word. The demoniac immediately wanted to go with Jesus, but he said, no, go and spread the word. And I promise you, he more than gladly went out and spread the word. When God has delivered us, and he has from the power of darkness, we should, with hearts filled with gratitude, grace, joy, that is our strength, go out and tell those in our sphere of influence about the goodness of the God that has delivered us. We should take it upon ourselves to be good ambassadors of that which he wants us to say. After Simon's mother-in-law is healed, she goes out and she does exactly that. She serves the people. Our text tells us that Jesus went on to heal a plethora of other people that were brought to him later that afternoon. They probably came later uh, when the Sabbath in their mind was done because they didn't want to deal with the ire of those in spiritual leadership. And so those folks, a whole bunch of them also had demons, and the demons started crying out, which brings me to my final point. His authority was revealed through the demon's profession. We've already looked at the testimony of the people who witnessed what Jesus did. But now we turn our attention to what those from the realm of the supernatural had to say. First in verse 34, the demon in the synagogue blurted out, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That title was used of Moses. That title was used of Elijah. But again, God is now saying, this is whom you are to listen to. Then in verse 41, we're told those demons, as they were coming out of the people, shouted, you are the son of God. Well, one thing is evident from our text. You might not believe in who Jesus is, but the demons did. They all knew who Christ is. But nevertheless, they're all going to hell. In James 2.19, we hear these words. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons believe that there is one God eternally existing in three persons. They knew why Jesus had come. They knew their time was short. But there was nothing they could do about it. For all the authority was in the hands of the one who was rebuking and casting them out. They bore witness to who he was and the power of his authority he possessed. But interestingly enough, Jesus forbade them time and time again from bearing that witness. So the question becomes, why? Now, there are several reasons that are put forth by the scholars, but here's the one that I find to be the most substantive or palliative to me. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Luke, wrote, The demons' repeated shouts, you are the son of God, were not confessions, but rather futile attempts to exercise mastery over Christ by showing that they knew his name. The same goes for the demon then that was in the synagogue, in essence, brothers and sisters, what we're hearing is that the demons were trying to exercise authority over the one who had the genuine authority. As I reflected on Hugh's statement, I was reminded of God's act of having Adam in the garden name all the animals 
And then I connected that to the cultural mandate where he was given authority to subdue and have dominion over every living thing. And so to name something was to have authority over it. Adam also went on to name the person who he was to be the head of in his household, Eve. So if what I'm asserting is true, then what we have here is a cosmic battle for power and authority, which lasted as long as it took Jesus to utilize the sword of his mouth, his word, to establish things as they were. You look at the book of Revelation, it talks about the two-edged sword, and that is the word of God. Jesus would go on from here to continually manifest his authority. This soul, while perfectly living out the law that he asserted had to be fulfilled, He walked about actively obeying God's law. He did so on our behalf. And then in the greatest act of love anyone could engage in, he who had all power and authority gave up the prerogatives that were his. He died a brutal death at the hands of the very ones who were trying to assert dominion over him. How is that? What am I saying? Remember, it was Satan who entered Judas and caused them to betray our Lord. During Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, Satan tried then, in the very beginning of this chapter, Satan tried at that point to exercise dominion over him, but he failed to do so. That encounter, I would remind you, ended with these words. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Well, that opportune time, brothers and sisters, was the cross. It was there that the one who spoke to the sea, when the disciples were afraid and the torrents were going back and forth and they thought they were going to hurt, the same person that said, peace, be still, exercising authority over nature. It was there that person demonstrated his authority over creation. It is there, and now he appeared to be divested or was divested of that authority. It was there that the one who told Lazarus, come out, demonstrating that he had power over death, appeared to have no power to deliver himself. It was there that Satan appeared to have what he always wanted, dominion. But brothers and sisters, like I said, we always used to sing on Easter. That's not how. The story ends. Three days later, our Lord rose again. And so with all power in his hand, the power and authority over death, hell, and the grave, so much so that Paul could sum it up this way. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His authority was revealed. Through his preaching, they tried to keep him there. But he said, no, I must go preach the gospel. His authority was revealed through his power. He demonstrated power over every element of creation, seen and unseen. And his authority was revealed through the profession of the demons and the people who witnessed that which they saw. Brothers and sisters, we came to church This morning, lifting up our voices and praising our God. But in the words of the Chris Tomlin song or the question, 
Is he worthy? Can I hear you say he is? Is he worthy? You better believe he is, ladies and gentlemen. He has demonstrated that he is exactly who he said he is. He's demonstrated that he could do all that he's done. Every promise in the Godhead that is yes and amen and has been fulfilled. And our passage clearly shows then that he is who he said he is. If you are here this morning and you do not know this Jesus, I want you to understand. That he is absolutely who he said he is. You can go and research it. Be a good Berean like those in Acts 17 and search the scriptures to see if it is so. But I guarantee you this fact. Our Lord is not in a hidden corner like Muhammad. Our Lord did not do those things that he did hidden in a corner. But they were witnesses from both realms. Spiritual and physical To all that he did and all that he accomplished, he lived obediently before the Lord. Active obedience, passive obedience, perfectly so. And so as we lift our voices up to praise him, the question on our lips, is he worthy, should always be answered, he is. And that's why we come bowed down before him, paying homage to the God who created us in his image for his glory and his purpose. Amen.